mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany, coming right up next, right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. Stay with us. Hey, have you got a minute? Huh? I'm going to say a word. You tell me what comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. Tchaikovsky. Gesundheit. Okay, what's the word? No, see, that is the word. What does Tchaikovsky make you think of? I don't know. Allergy season? Uh, hey there, how you doing? What's up? Who's Martha Graham? She invented the graham cracker. No kidding. Yeah, before her there was only soda crackers. Hard to imagine. Uh, hey young lady? Yeah? Uh, does the name Man Ray mean anything to you? Duh. The man ray is a kind of poisonous jellyfish, and it lives in the Gulf of Mexico. Aha. It's very deadly. Are your kids as well-rounded as they could be? Kids who participate in the arts do better in school and in life. To learn more about the value of arts education, visit americansforthearts.org. Because all kids should get to appreciate Tchaikovsky's music, Martha Graham's dance, and man ray's photography. Art. Ask for more. A public service message brought to you by Americans for the Arts and the Ad Council. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Well, hello, party partners, and welcome to radio's finest hour of positive power, star style. Be the star you are. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And we are the mother-daughter dynamic duo known as the Stella Donna Godis Gals. And we are thrilled to be your personal growth success coaches right here on the airwaves, bringing you the authors, the experts, and the professionals to help you enjoy a more fulfilled life. So get ready to pump that energy. Love, learn, laugh, listen, and live your dreams through great books and positive media. In our Tea for Two segment today, Heather and I will be talking about the college days and preparation for the real world. And how would you deal with the fatal illness of a sibling growing up? With Heather Summerhays Cario, when her book, 65 Roses, comes in in segment two, and Senator Robert Kennedy's daughter, Kathleen Kennedy Townsend, in segment three is our guest, as she talks about how today's churches are mixing God with politics and losing their way. All on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, today, right here in this hour. Well, our purpose in providing you this radio show is to communicate to you that you already possess everything you need to be the producer, the writer, director, and star of your own life. We have some, some rules. Heather, do you remember our Most I know. It's been a long time, but how can you ever forget? We want you to smile, have fun, and be willing to take that chance to be wild and crazy. Yeah, good going. And our motto is, to be a leader, you must be a reader. So we want you to grab a cup of tea, because this is our Tea for Two segment. Sit back and just enjoy the show. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by the Carmony Collection, handmade handbags and purses for every occasion for the young, hip woman. Visit CarmonyCollection.com. That's Carmony with the K, Collection with the K, dot com. Or call 619-286-1099. And this is by Earl Nightingale. And that's where I started my uh, radio career, actually, with Personal Achievement Radio and the Nightingale Conant um, Division, and this is a great attitude does much more than turn on the lights in our world. It seems to magically connect us to all sorts of serendipitous opportunities that were somehow absent before we changed. 
Isn't that a that's great fantastic. one? It is. And, you know, I think that's why I love being a part of Nightingale Conan. That's why I got to radio in the first point, place was because I liked turning on that light, and I liked change, and I did feel that it was so magical to get to learn from so many incredible authors and experts and, and guests that grace the airwaves. Well, every week, Be The Star You Are showcases incredible authors and experts, as I was just saying, and they enhance and they inspire your life. Be The Star You Are is a 501c3 charity dedicated to empowering families, youth at risk, and women through improved literacy and positive message programming, such as this radio show and some television shows that we do. Please keep us broadcasting. We feel it's important. Go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Make a donation. We have no political or religious agenda, and we are not funded by anybody but you. So contributions are always appreciated. So www.BeTheStarYouAre.org. And before we get into our Tea for Two segment, do go to the website because ABC and Good Morning America just did a salute to be the star, and it is a great TV segment. I think it's about 15 minutes long, and it shows all the volunteers and the different services. It showcased our radio show with Heather and I. It also, uh, our book review team, and it showed all the youth volunteers that are doing great work as well as our psychologists and other people. So congratulations to the volunteers who've been working diligently for no pay just for the gratification of making a difference in people's lives. And we've been doing this since 1999, so this is a very cool thing. Well, Heather, I am so glad that you are back on the air. As everyone knows, all our listeners know, you had to take a little bit of a hiatus because you really were up to your ears with your classes at San Diego State University, and you just really couldn't be doing the show at the moment. Exactly, and I was working at another radio station doing an internship, which is one of the things we're going to get into today about what's so important, you know, once you're at, and cause I'm in my final, I have one more semester left until I graduate. It's kind of that big production now of, okay, you know, I've taken all the right classes, but now do I have that resume? That Am I ready to make that real-world transition to the right classes, the right moves? And one thing that's so big is education is really the fault line between uh, the people, the, the haves and have-nots in our society. And today... Uh, today's good jobs require skills and training beyond just high school education. That used to just be the bare minimum, and now that that just be a laughing thing. And one thing they even say is that in an average lifetime, this is just in any old job, people that with a college education with at least a BA learn um, make at least six hundred thousand dollars more in their lifetime than someone that didn't uh, aspire to a college. That, I think that's worth saying. I mean, you know, we always say the how expensive an education is. But the reality is, it's so much more expensive to be ignorant. So, in your lifetime, an average education will garner you over six hundred thousand dollars more in income. That's nothing to sneeze about. Exactly, and and nothing. The big thing is, so I have one more semester left. Well, technically, I'm taking the summer school thing. But now, some people are thinking, okay, I'm going into my senior year. You know, I'm going to live up this summer. But really, it's time to think about, okay, this is the last chance you really have to make, you know, to figure out, to get that resume ready, to get that job. So there's so many things. You want to take advantage of this summer break coming up and make sure you have the real-life experiences. 
So some things I thought of that are so key, because I'm in the process now of making that transition of going to a, a school, uh, going from being in school, you know, to stepping into the real world where summer vacation won't exist anymore. You know, weekends are not, our weekends are to figure out, finish up all the other jobs. So one big thing, as I mentioned before, is interning is key. That is almost like a prerequisite now for any job. Well, I understand that if you don't have interning internships on your resume, that you know that employers aren't likely to hire you because they want to see that you have some real world experience and they want it through your college um, experiences. Is that true? I've heard that from many different experts. Yes, I would say I would say definitely. It's it's kind of so much how they're realizing now that the um, the SATs are no longer this thing that sets out of what is smart and what is not because people are so much more than just numbers and writing. It's the the actual personal relationship that people start. Some people, the greatest people that are in marketing, they might have someone else that is doing the number sense of it, but they're out there and they're able to sell the product because of the people they are, and those are the many skills. So interning, it's also, it's kind of like shadowing. You we, Once you get into the internship, you could get into it and realize, oh, my God, this is not the career I want because what you're doing in school is not the actual job. You're just learning about all the mechanics that go into it. So once you get into that real-world environment, it will really show you if this is the environment you want to make a lifetime and a career out of it. And if you're going to wake up every day with, you know, the mantra of, oh, God, got to go to work, not the, oh, God, got to go to work. Because as we often know, so many jobs or so many situations that we think, oh, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this job while I'm starting off, or I'm just gonna live this place. And sometimes, you know, you wake up and you're 45 years old and you're still at the same job, you're still at the same house, and things haven't changed, you haven't gone forward and made that benefit thing. So it's good to start out right now, fresh as the seed, when you're still in college or in that last semester just graduating. So you can make sure that you're making the right, the right uh, life choices for yourself. Well, and, and you know, I wanted to suggest something there, too, because um, going to your career counselor, there is, I think that one of the things, mistakes I made when I was in college, I did not spend enough time in the career counselor's office, you mm-hmm. know, thinking, oh, there wasn't going to be anything for me. But the reality is today, the career college, the career counselors get all kinds of invitations from, for internships as well, internships as well as job offers, et cetera. So, I mean, is that a place that you hang out, or is it some place you're going to be hanging out more, or what do you what do you well, find that you? Well, now that I'm in, I've I've already I've put in my time. I think that's really that's a place where someone needs to start out right from the very get go to make sure you're taking the right classes, and they can be advising you with anything else. And also, if you've fulfilled. Another great thing about summer, if you've possibly fulfilled all the classes you need to, maybe you should take a fun class, something of, to pique your interest, which something, a, a fun way of doing that is traveling abroad. And learning abroad will set you apart from all the other job seekers uh, because it's a very competitive job market. And the highlight of your experience could be something that you could bring into a job interview. And you could say, you know, talk about your worldly travels. And learning abroad can actually help you develop new skills and gain a, a sense, a more sense of independence and self-confidence. And when you return to this job, so many people, you know, they go away and they have, they come back with this new perspective on life, a new hunger, or they realize so many things they have are just so much more they want. Um, another thing is studying overseas helps, it, it shows a different perspective in it, the competitive market. And you must say, as I'm just using marketing and advertising, foreign marketing and advertising may be completely different from American, but you might, by going there, you might find some things that could work better over here and something, it's just kind of like when you think of an idea, 10 other people are thinking of it at the same time. It's all who lights the match first, who gets there. 
So well, I love the idea of studying abroad. As you know, I'm a huge proponent of uh, international relations, and I lived three, three times abroad and studied in France and studied in Holland and in Mexico and traveled throughout the world, but lived, you know, for a year or two years. And to this day, those experiences are still serving me well in my, in my job experiences where I'm going to use my languages and the people skills. And so I think that going abroad is probably one of the smartest things that you can possibly do as a student. Definitely. And what I was saying about it is oftentimes a lot, if you're in that, if you're still in that segue of you need to get, you have these final classes that you have to complete for your major, that might not be the, the right thing because, you know, you're going to be so enticed by this new wonderful world that's out there. But if you've already competed all, all, already completed all the path twos of your courses, this is a great way to go maybe learn a new language, take an art, take film classes, kind of more, something fun that you're still getting education, you're still getting college credit for, but it's a more relaxed environment that you're not, that, you know, you have to get the grade. It's more there to get the experience and get the, the worldliness. Um, another that I noticed, Heather, before you go on with mm-hmm. uh, studying abroad these days, which is different from when I was in college, you can go abroad for as, as short a time as a couple of weeks or a month. Or, like I just got back from speaking on a scholarship at sea program, you can do a scholarship at sea and just do a month of being abroad. So, whereas I had to they, they offer winter years. break and summer break, uh, or just, you know, two three week kind of little things, and also that can be really great. Uh, which the next thing I was going to get to is budgeting-wise, because as wonderful as it sounds, it can end up being about a $4,000 trip, which is an amazing, you know, when you think about your travel with your family, no way could you spend, you know, a month abroad with your living and taking classes enough for $4,000 in a foreign country. But that um, for a student, that can be a big thing. So coming to your senior year is a time that you really want to think about all these student, um, the student loan payback. Many college graduates are leaving college with more, through more than just a diploma, with a huge debt. And the big thing is that a lot of kids are leaving because they are leaving with student loan debts and credit card debts. When really, what we've always tried to admit is go for the grants, go for the scholarships each year. Hundreds and thousands of dollars go unclaimed because kids, and it's the simplest process. Sometimes you just have to write an essay or you just have to submit letters of recommendation or showing, you know, you could create video or something there. So often it's the simplest thing. It's just people don't look into it or they think, it's, oh, it's just so much easier to go to the loan office. But just like a credit card, you know, if you don't pay the full amount, you get uh, percentages tapped on. And so you're $5,000 loan by the time you graduate could be $20,000 and then if, if, you're not, if you haven't secured that job yet then you know you're constantly backpedaling in it so it's That's really very scary and I wanted to say something about scholarships because one of our volunteers uh, here at Be The Star You Are, Jennifer Tao, has been applying for different scholarships because she got accepted to several universities. And she, in just the last two months, has won something like 15 different scholarships, all with awards of anywhere from 500 to $10,000. So her college will get paid for by, you know, these small increments that add up. Mm. But interestingly enough, many of the awards that she won, nobody else even applied. So, you know, I think that that's a really good, um, I mean, she's an outstanding person. And that's, and, and the big thing I know that with my school, they are almost begging kids. I so often get my teachers, even if I'm not part, uh, my major isn't part of that department, they 
asked and they're saying, please apply for this. Because each year the school gives out a certain amount. They may, for example, say, we will give $10,000 to the Women's Studies Program. But if no one applies, then the next year when they bring it up saying, you know, we want to offer money to kids, they'll say, well, you know what, no one applies for it, so they'll take away the money. And then so when someone really does, there won't be that money there for it. So, so have you applied, Heather? Are you? Applied I have applied for some. I have. I'm waiting to hear back for the Good for uh, fall you. semester. So let's see what's going. But really, you know, it's just to kind of the final things before we make that big transition. You just want to get everything all set up. And really, going into the interview, you want they need so much more than the school. It looks great having a great GPA or graduating from a wonderful a wonderful college. But the big thing is you want to have worldly and lifely experiences. That list your resume is key. You know, it's it's your hard. One thing also, and right, take a, a resume writing class. So many times, so many great people have done amazing things, but they have sloppy resumes that don't don't, don't really show who the character they are. It may just list very minimum things. If you are active in civic duties, if you've won awards, uh, if you participate in things in your community, add these things on. And also that makes great conversation really to work because, you know, we only get one impression. And think about how many other people that are competing against you. You want to be the top person there. So show everything. Just show how much you're participating in. And also, not only is this going to get you a great job or hopefully get you ahead, but it will make your college experience Wonderful. I used to say it's just four years. I'm going on the five-year plan. But, you know, the four four to six years, whatever it takes you to get out, it's such a short time. It is, you know, it's definitely a transition from the high school, but it's still not quite yet the real world of, you know, where weekends don't exist and summer is just something, an old fantasy. But it's this one time, you know, where you get to socialize, network, meet all these people, so many people that are involved in the in the, the film department. So this is really where a lot of young actors, a lot of young directors all start out. Just be willing to take those chances, get involved with organizations, start your own. Um, and then eventually, you know, some of these things can help you um, create a business. We have a friend that I believe he's a marketing major, and he just now he started some Internet for a class project. They had to create a, a false you know, Internet side, and they actually turned it into a real site, and they got a big, major, million-dollar company just in the last few months here to sign up to front them $5 million. Wow. Even if oh, it goes under, they're all money. fantastic tips. We, we, you always have so much great information, and it goes way too fast. So, uh, of course, now that your school winds down, hopefully you'll be back on our T for Two segment from time I to time. I love that. Give us some more stuff because we miss you, and hopefully your internship at the other radio network will be over. So let's give out the websites, Heather. Thank you for such a such great, important Most information. definitely. Well, as we said before, we want you reading, we want you volunteering, doing all that great things. You can find how also how you can help the radio show or help the charity. Go to stelladone.com. That's S-T-E-L-L-A-P-O-N-N-A.com. Well, you know, and at com. Sorry. No, that's good. You've been listening to Cynthia Bryan. And Heather Brittany. And we are the Stella Donna Goddess Gals. We'll be back in a minute. Stay with us. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. More to come. The business of show business is calling out to me. This business of show business is all I want to be. World Talk Radio. I'm Mary Hart, and this is Empowering America. 
She was born in Newark, New Jersey in 1924. She was blessed with a beautiful voice. And by 19, young Sarah had entered and won an amateur hour contest at Harlem's famous Apollo Theater. A year later, singer Billy Eckstein invited her to join his new group, featuring the legendary Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, and Miles Davis. Sarah, now nicknamed Sassy, dazzled all with the amazing flexibility of her voice. At 20 years old, she cut her first record and was fast becoming a legend among her fellow musicians. She joined Mercury Records in 1954 and embarked on the most prolific years of her career. Over the next three decades, Sassy toured the world and cut more records, her last in 1987. Three years later, in 1990, Sarah Sassy Vaughn passed away, leaving a gaping hole in the world of music. Empowering America is sponsored by the Foundation of American Women in Radio and Television and is made possible by the generous support of AT&T, caring for the communities where we live and work. Hear that? You just gotta love that sound. Really, it's one of this country's great treasures. The unmistakable sound of a nice California Chardonnay. There's nothing like it. Well, except of course for the sound of nails pounding lumber, building new homes across America, or steaks sizzling on the grill. In fact, 40% of American products are shipped by freight railroads. From computers to produce, we even carry trucks. Really, chances are the things you'll use to Tomorrow, are taking the train today. 70% of new American cars, 40% of the grain harvest. More Americans depend on us than ever. Freight railroads contribute more than $31 billion a year to the U.S. economy. And since one freight train carries a load of up to 500 trucks, that means less fuel, less traffic. A better environment, a better tomorrow. Tomorrow, arriving by train. Sponsored by North America's Freight Railroads. Listen, the world is talking. World Talk Radio. Be the star you are with your personal growth coach, Cynthia Bryan. And this is brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity, a 501c3 empowering women, families, and youth at risk through improved literacy and positive media. Buckminster Fuller said, You can never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And that's just exactly what big sister Heather Summer Hayes Carriou had to do. She had to build a new model when she was growing up. When she found out that her younger sister Pam was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, her story is lovingly chronicled in the memoir, 65 Roses. Welcome, Heather, to Be the Star You Are. Hi. I am so glad you are on. What a touching book you have written. Thank and you. What an ordeal that you had to live through because before your sister died, she told you to write your story, your story together, and your mother told you to write the truth. And your book, 65 Roses, a sister's memoir, in your own words, uh, lies somewhere between, between the truth and the memory. And it's so heartfelt and frank and heart-wrenching of having to grow up really in the shadow of a death sentence, illness with a sibling you loved, and yet learn how to survive and thrive. Uh, how do you remember feeling, Heather, when you first heard of the diagnosis of cystic fibrosis, which your sister pronounced 65 roses. Well, I was only six when Pam was diagnosed. She was four. Um, and I think I really, even then, was aware of my life not opening up in front of me, 
but opening up beneath me, as it were. I, I felt as if I were falling. And I promised my sister that she wouldn't have to die alone. I thought that was very unfair, that that God was going to make her die and that she might die alone. So I promised to die with her. Oh, you know, and when you wrote that, that gave me such chills because it was so obvious throughout your time together that you were always her protector. You were her best friend, and she was your best friend. And even though you would get angry and sometimes you felt like she was getting all the attention because she was the sick one and, you know, what about me, you were always there for one another. Well, we were through our whole lives, and that's pretty much the nature of uh, the relationship between, well, siblings uh, and their and their ill or disabled uh, counterparts. There's about six to seven well siblings in the United States, and uh, we carry the burdens of guilt and resentment, but we also have the great joy of, I think, learning more about life from our um, or, or disabled siblings, and certainly from my sister, I learned never to give up. Well, and she had such an optimistic attitude. Uh, it was she was always positive. She seemed to always be seeing the bright side, and she just was taking each step as at a time and living her life. She didn't want to be classified as different. No, she did not want her disease to define her, and. So that's another thing that I learned from her as a wealth sibling, that whatever situation I'm in, whatever obstacle I'm faced with, um, I'm not defined by that obstacle or that situation. And that my power comes from being able to choose my response to a given situation, whatever the limitation may be. I know you are an actor, which was your lifelong dream, acting and writing and being a ballerina, and you've done all of them. (laughs) But, you know, what you just said is so true for acting, isn't it? All acting is reacting. Yes. So it's not how we act. It's how we respond. It's, it's, It's not the situations that happen. It's what we do with them. Well, I think it's our own choices, really, that limit us sometimes in situations. I mean, we cannot always control our circumstances, but we certainly can control how we react to them. We can choose to be bitter or forgiving. We can choose to be loving or hateful. Yeah, I always say we can be bitter or better, and yes. I, I yeah. rather choose better. Absolutely. And that's exactly what you did. Although, whenever there is something like this in a family or a death of a child in a family, it changes the family dynamics. And as I was reading your uh, book, 65 Roses, A Sister's Memoir, you know, I, I looked into my own family, and my brother was killed on a tractor accident on our farm when, I, when he was just 16. He was the youngest, and he was the star of the family. And uh, it was always something that we've taken with us through our lives, and it was devastating to everyone. But reading your story, I realized how much harder I think it is to actually live with an illness every day, and you don't know when, you know, when or if, um, however you got to say goodbye. Yes. But it was a long goodbye because children with cystic fibrosis were, at the time, there wasn't much known about it. In fact, your parents started the Canadian Cystic Fibrosis uh, Foundation. Mm-hmm. But, so it, it could have been days, it could have been weeks, it could have been years, but instead she lived until 26. Yeah, we were kind of pioneers in the years, the early years of cystic fibrosis. You were and pioneers. I don't think you were kind of. You were definitely... We, we were. We were pioneers, and as I write in the book, uh, as with any diagnosis, and again with the pioneer metaphor, we really became immigrants in our own lives because... 
the family that we were before the diagnosis uh, was not who we were afterwards, uh, nor as individuals. And I think that um, living with Pam the way we did, in we learned to really live in the moment and appreciate life in the moment and learn how to choose our joy in the moment, which is what I think we should all do. It's it's yeah. even what I do now in my life. Very much, I'm conscious of that. Well, that's what that's the message that I got from seeing the book because one of my messages to the world has always been live as if you're dying. And if we all lived as if we were dying, we would make different choices. I couldn't agree more. And so this is what your book is all about, is that every minute was about dying, so you had to grasp life to the fullest and live it. And, you know, I cried during the part when you started getting, well, your family started getting some publicity for the foundation for cystic fibrosis and when your mother won the Mother of the Year Award. But instead of talking about all the kids it only talked about Pam and her illness and the pain that you must have felt as a child of like, well, aren't I your daughter too? Aren't yeah. I one of the kids? I, I felt uh, quite invisible. Invisible. Yes, for much of my childhood. And uh, notwithstanding, my, my parents loved me very much and um, I certainly got as much attention as, as they could give me. But I think what I learned uh, partly all through writing the book was – I was quite invisible to myself in a sense, and that what I struggle now is to be visible to my own soul and therefore acknowledge what my strengths are and uh, to be whole in myself as a person and not to depend on the attention of other people, um, whether it's a good review as an actor or a bad review or whatever it might be. Right. It's not, it isn't you, Heather, that they're reviewing it. It's the acting or, you know, or the character. But the fact is, is that you were living kind of on trial all the time and in the background. It was almost like you were always waiting in the wings. Yes. And that had to be a difficult, you know, that had to be just so difficult because at the same time you loved your sister so very much. In your acknowledgments at the end of the book, you talk about your parents being your heroes. But at the, but during the time of growing up, it was difficult because the choices they were making where your father was gone so much, he was starting the foundation. Obviously, he was doing the best, you know, as, he was peddling as fast as he could to do what he could to find information to help your sister. Your mom was trying to manage the four children and, um, and take care of Pam and nurture you guys. But it still had to be extraordinarily lonely because the parents were so swamped with everything. And there wasn't the care that maybe there's in existence today. Absolutely, that's true. And uh, I found a lot of my companionship in books. Which and that's is pr- why you're a good writer. You probably. Are, <laughs> your words flow off the page. I just want to tell the listening audiences, pick up this book, 65 Roses, a Sister's Memoir, because just the quality of her sentences and the way that you are able to express yourself, it is so beautifully written, Heather. I just commend you on that. Thank you so much. Especially um, for such a painful experience to write about. You, you write in such a vulnerable, straightforward, truthful Way you know the the truth for you yes and it's it's so obvious that you are telling Pam's story and honoring her and you felt her you said you felt her while you were writing very much so and as I've been out uh, promoting the book and speaking to people now uh, about what I call the four pillars of Pam's legacy to me I feel her very much with me and around me all the time 
And I, my life right now is just a joy and a gift, and it's almost, it feels to me like her gift to me because she had asked me to write the book and kind of um, intimated to me that, that this was the life I was meant to lead. So uh, I feel like it's a gift from her. Yeah, do you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes we we don't know why we're giving, given these terrible obstacles or challenges in our lives, but when we get a little distance from them, we can see the gift in it. Absolutely. And so her life was not lived for naught. Her life has inspired so many other people. And what of cystic fibrosis today? I know that you're involved in the in the foundation. The foreword was written by Celine Dion, who is a big supporter of your foundation. What is going on in the works of to help children who are diagnosed with it today? And is the longevity better? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, there's tremendous uh, breakthroughs in research going on as we speak. And I just found out that uh, the adult population now is 50% of the entire population of people with cystic fibrosis. And that's an extraordinary thing because uh, almost 50 years ago, most children were diagnosed in infancy or at autopsy and had a very, very poor prognosis. Now the fact that uh, of all the adult, all the population, we have 50% adults is incredible. The average life expectancy is now 37. I have a brother with CF who's 45. And right, and he's still, I mean, he's rafting rivers. and That's he's, right. He's a whitewater rafting life. instructor. Yes, and, and so he's very fit, and you wouldn't know that he, he suffers from this. Uh, you, you might think that there was something. You could hear him cough. You could see how thin he is, but other than that, um, you might just think he had a bad cold. You wouldn't really know that he had CF unless he told you. So, so really there's, there's just well. been tremendous uh, advances in treating CF, but we're still fighting for the cure. And I would commend you, you your family's work, because for founding this uh, foundation to find the cure for cystic fibrosis. And, you're, yeah, I mean, your dad worked to get it. How many, how, where is it around the United States and Canada now? Is it like in all the provinces? I mean, you, it had... It had so in, in Canada, there are um, 50 cystic fibrosis chapters funding 38 clinics. Wow. I'm not sure what the numbers are in the U.S., but uh, I know they're larger than that. Uh, I was on the board for many years of the New York City chapter of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. And the beautiful thing is that all the research clinics all over the world, Canada, the United States, uh, the United Kingdom, they all cooperate and work together and share information to move the research forward. Well, you know, when you first found out about Pam's illness, um, you write in the book that when you kissed her, she tasted salty. Yeah. And so that's like a first indication because it's not, can you tell like in vitro now at all? Can you tell when you're pregnant if your child might have it? Yes, I believe you can. There, there are tests and there are genetic tests if you are aware that there are carriers in your family, but you know, um, one in every 25 people is a carrier of the CF gene, and there are 10 million carriers in the United States, uh, many of whom probably don't know that they're carrying the gene. So it's entirely possible that if you don't have cystic fibrosis in your family at the moment, depending on who your children marry and how many children they have or your grandchildren, cystic fibrosis could show up in your family uh, in generations to come. 
So, so it's just something that we all need to be aware of and just, and be so grateful, as you say, for living in the moment and having what we have right now. I want you to just tell me, what were some of your most cherished moments with your sister Pam? Because as you, as you chronicled your life together and it, you know, as you got older and your teenage years and then college and you had boyfriends and stuff, it seemed like that you entered a whole different level of intimacy with one another. I would, I will, the most cherished moments are the moments we laughed because I've never laughed with anybody in my life the way I laughed with her. We just had an understanding. Um, but I think some of the other most cherished moments were, hello? I'm here. Yep. Yes, I'm were, were times when uh, she actually was angry with me and uh, would tell me off for giving up too easily. Mm-hmm. And the thing that she did, when you would get frustrated, she actually would um, call you on the carpet on that. She you? would. She would. And I think that's one of the things I miss the most about her because I think what we all really love and appreciate in relationships, or I certainly do, are people who are really going to talk straight to me and tell me the truth. Well, what about you when you went away to be a ballerina and you were, you know, at that very incredible school that was so difficult to get in and to stay in and and everybody wanted you to stay and you felt you had to be home because you were really concerned that she was not well and that she missed you and that you needed to be there. And uh, the National Ballet School of Canada, and I was only 10 years old, but I had an opportunity to go to the winter school and and really stay there for several years and become a member of the National Ballet of Canada. And I just was concerned that if she didn't have long to live, that I was going to miss the life she did have, and I couldn't bear that. When I got home, however, she was really put out with me because... furious with you. Yes. She felt I'd given up. Right. She thought that that was it, that you had just said, you know, I'm not going to do this. I can't be bothered. But I think then when she realized why I had given it up, it was even worse for her because in a sense I'd given her a burden I didn't mean to place on her, mm-hmm. which was that I was giving my uh, my life and my dreams, putting them aside because of her, and that's the last thing she wanted me to do. However, Heather, I bet in as you look back now, you're happy that you had the time with her. Oh, I wouldn't trade a moment of it for sure. And uh, and the life that I have now, I feel very much that she's with me in it, and that we've created it together uh, as I go out and promote the book, and also because my life has changed because I'm living by many of the tenets of her legacy. So I don't make decisions out of fear. I don't let fear control my life. Um, so it I, sounds like your life is a very happy one now with your husband and you're, you're still involved, you know, with his career and the acting and especially your writing now, which is something you always enjoyed doing. And now you're a professional writer and a member of so many different groups. And, and it has to be a great feeling to know that you are really living your dream. It is. It is, finally, especially finally. after having my life, feeling that my life is so circumscribed by um, by being a well sibling. Right. I and do feel that freedom now, and I love writing, and I'm working on a novel. And um, Well, I think you have a great message for anybody out there who is a well sibling and is living day-to-day with a, uh, a family member who is ill, 
that you too can make it and you too can have a an exceptional, fulfilled life and you just have to live in the moment and also follow your own dream. Absolutely. Well, I want to give out your website. It's a fabulous book and it is a sister's memoir. It is the book that her sister Pam asked her to write. Her mother wanted her to write the truth and there's wonderful pictures of them inside. It's called 65 Roses because that's how Pam said cystic fibrosis. The website is www. Dot 65rosesthebook.com and the author is, Sam, is Heather Summerhays Cariou. Well, Heather, it's been just a delight talking with you. Do you want to leave us with a final thought from your book? My final thought would be never give up. Never give up. Well said. That's exactly what your sister would say. Thank you, Heather, for being on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and keep being that incredible woman you were born to be because Pam is with you, and you are not just surviving, but you are thriving. Thank you so much. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Back in a moment with Kathleen Kennedy Townsend. This business of show business. World Talk Radio. Looking for answers to those uncommon questions? Looking for a way to heal? Looking for spiritual guidance? Come visit www.angelstoguideyou.com. We are all blessed with spiritual helpers, spiritual gifts, and spiritual healing. Get in touch with your spirit. Get answers. Get healing. www.angelstoguideyou.com. Remember, you're not alone. Angelstoguideyou.com. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Well, every week, Be the Star You Are does showcase exceptional authors and experts who help us excel in life. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth at risk through improved literacy and positive media programming, just like this radio show. For more information, to make a donation, please keep us broadcasting. Go to bethestarur.org. Everybody counts. Well, President Bill Clinton hailed uh, Kathleen Kennedy Townsend as a woman of passion, integrity, and faith. And in an era when politics and religion have been mixed, Many people are really concerned that the needs of our citizens are not being met as both the religious and the political leaders. They preach fear and intolerance rather than love and charity. And former Lieutenant Governor of Maryland and daughter of the late Senator Robert F. Kennedy, Kathleen Kennedy Townsend, is at the forefront of taking a stand with her newest book called Failing America's Faithful. Welcome, Kathleen, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Oh, good to talk to you, Cynthia. Well, Kathleen, it is a pleasure that to have you on the fo- on the phone and on the uh, show with us. I have uh, been looking forward to this interview. I recently saw the beautiful movie Bobby about your dad. Oh, uh, thank you. And I hope that you enjoyed it as well. I mean, it, I thought it just portrayed the family and the final day just so beautifully. But what really struck me was seeing the clips from his speeches because you speak about it in your book, uh, how uh, 
you know, he was your hero as well as, as your uncle, uh, John F. Kennedy, President uh, John F. Kennedy, because he was so passionate about getting out there and helping the poor, about providing services for the needy. And what we're seeing today in politics and religion are, um, are just that, uh, just the title of your book, Failing America's Faithful, that the churches are mixing God with politics, and both are losing their way because everyone's so judgmental, and they're dividing the communities with their condemnation rather than uniting them. Oh, you... You have got it spot on, Cynthia. You are so right. Thank you. Um, it is said, I, I talk in my book about the faith that I grew up in, which was an open faith, which asked us to understand and love our neighbor. And today it sounds from the churches, I mean, the ones you hear about, obviously they're wonderful churches all over our country, but the ones that are getting to the press are those that are condemn others, who uh, say we're better than others. Um, you heard James Dobson actually say the other day about a Republican presidential candidate, I don't know if he's Christian enough. Uh, this is ugly, divisive language. And I wrote this book because I wanted to say, wait a minute, you can't hijack religion. It is wrong to do so. And let's reclaim this wonderful tradition of um, that we once had. I agree with you. You know, there's a, a great a quote by um, H. Jackson Brown that says, in the confrontation between the stream and the rock, the stream always wins because it's not through strength but by perseverance. And I think someone like you that it has that perseverance and the determination to stay the course and to say, look, it, we have to unite. We have to change the way the churches are acting today and the way that the politicians are acting so that we can have a better America and a, and a better livelihood for everyone. That's how change is going to happen. And I want to get to something that to me is so important in your book because you have been such a woman's uh, advocate. And um, I grew up Catholic. I just should tell you this. You did? I, I, I have grew up Catholic like you. I was going to be a nun. I really wanted to be a priest. No kidding. That's so great. Obviously, we weren't allowed to be priests. And in our day, we weren't allowed to be altar boys, which really yeah. made me angry. And I was raised by Catholic nuns. And so even to this where, day. Where? In, um, in California. And they were holy faith nuns from Glasnevin, Dublin 9. And That's I actually kidding. traveled California as the only Italian, I'm 100% Italian, Italian-Irish dancer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so what this I was is a great say, story. Oh, well, what I was going to say is I recently was asked to lecture in Ireland, and um, I was back there for the first time in 20 years, and I also spoke at a 40th Jubilee for a very dear friend, a priest friend of mine. And I cannot believe the change in the church uh, from when I was there, you know, as um, a, a, a early adult to yeah. where I am now. The, Twenty years ago, the churches were filled. Everybody took the church's word as doctrine. Today, they're empty, and I was like the youngest person in the church. Right. And it, it makes me really sad because women have a voice. We need to be heard. And why can't we have women priests? And I love the way you write about this in your book because you're, you talk about um, all the different popes throughout, you know, the time. How, like, growing up, we were always taught the popes were infallible, right? And 
that's what was limbo and purgatory right. and, you know, all this stuff. But the reality is, is it's just men making decisions. So who's to say that one of the Marys wasn't really, you know, the head of the church? And why can't we have women that are priests? Why can't we have more women's voices? I love that you're a proponent of that. Absolutely. Well, I think it is very strange for our church um, to be totally dominated by males. And obviously that didn't seem so strange for many years when the whole society accepted the idea that males were somehow better, stronger, smarter than women. But clearly we understand that that's wrong and the church persists in its old beliefs, partially because I think they are afraid of change. It did take them 350 years, after all, to realize that Galileo was right. But partially it is this uh, fear of women, which I think we women have to acknowledge that that's what's going on, and it is our responsibility, which is is to teach the church um, that women are equal to men, um, and that we are often also made in the image of likeness of God, and that we should be priests, and that our our ideas and thoughts uh, should be part of the church doctrine. Right, and the whole idea with contraception and abortion and all of this, you make a great point that if the church doesn't get, and when I say the church now, I'm talking about the hierarchy. Church, it's really also any church. If religion in general doesn't get it together with what's happening in society today, people are going to rebel and they're going to leave the church, and we do need religion. I mean, there's an important place for our faith. But if, but we have to keep up with the times, and we can no longer dictate. I mean, do you remember how we used to, uh, it was a sin if you didn't have a hat in church, and yes. as a woman, and you put a piece of Kleenex on your head? I, absolutely. Church, I can't remember, I can't tell you how many times that my family would go camping. We didn't have a hat, we'd put Kleenex on. Well, recently, I'm a lector at our church, and I wore a hat, and I was asked to take the hat off because... Um, people would be looking at my hat instead of listening to the words. And I thought, oh, my God, now it's a sin if I wear a hat. <laughs> it is weird how they just want to control you. Yeah, and see, I think this is, to me, this is how your book is is so pertinent. It's about how can we make a better America by recognizing our strengths and not condemning the different factions of society. Why can't we just all unite? And there doesn't have to be one true church. You know, it doesn't matter what we call our God. We're all one. We're all one. And well, that's, it, you know, and we're all one spiritually. But you know, it's really fascinating if you look at the genome project. In yeah, which it right. looked at all our DNA, right. and it, you know we are ninety nine point nine percent the same. Well, and they say the same that we're the same as the stars and the rocks, and it's like we're all energy. Yeah, we're all in energy, so we're like we're really, really similar. So we're we're one as human beings, but we're one with the universe as well. And that is that to me is fascinating. It's something that we really didn't learn growing up, and. You talk about Martin Luther King quite a bit. He's another one of your heroes, and, of course, he was a great friend of your father's as well. Will you talk, tell us just a little bit about how your writings and your philosophies are kind of based on both your dad's and what um, Mr. King felt? Yes, thank you. Well, um, I think there's what certainly I learned from my father um, was that 
What we have to do is always think of somebody else who might be worse off than we are and what we can do to help. What, you know, he was asked, why are we on earth? He said, to help somebody, to, to reach out, uh, to be kind to others and to work for our country. He, that was, there was always a sense that we, We've all been given gifts, and we should use them for others. And I think what Martin Luther King said so eloquently um, is that we really are all equal, and if if people don't want to recognize it, um, it's correct. It's good to protest. We can't keep silent in the face of oppression. And so he had this energy and excitement about saying, you know, you may not always be popular, but it's important to try to do the right thing. And, and you, as you said, I heard your you know your previous interview, which was so eloquent about, and you said yourself, you have to persist. You have to you know work with others. You know, it's not like you find the truth all by yourself. You work with others. Martin Luther King built a movement, um, and my father very much believed in working with friends and to to bring people along. It's not just solitude, but it is the sense that sometimes you're not going to be loved, you're not going to be liked, but you've got to do the right thing. And isn't that just like being a mother, is that if we don't tell our children that, is that, you know, my role is not to be the best friend, it's to be, the, to, to be the nurturer to help you grow into great people that are giving back to the world. I mean, I feel that's how we all are supposed to be. Well, and absolutely. your book really emanates that. Thank you. No, it, it is as you are as a mother, is to encourage your children and, and nurture them and help them and lift them up, which is... Um, I, I, a challenge at time. I have four dollars, so I can I speak from experience. But happily, they are they seem to be doing all very well right now. Well, you have been in politics. I mean, you obviously you're very involved in all the different things you're doing, and you're yeah. you're teaching and you're speaking. Yeah. You just have a long history of accomplishment in all areas. And of course, from such a, an American family, you are the you know the. They're the kings and queens of America, the Kennedy family. Would you ever consider running for president yourself? Well, I think we've got a great woman running for president t- today. Well, I'm so excited I'm, about that. I'm excited what? we have a woman running. But, you know, I mean, I think it's time that we have a woman. Oh, absolutely. I think it's time. You know, one of the things that I was, I, I realize about America is that we, very, we have very few women uh, leaders as part of our cultural consciousness. I was thinking, I was wondering what you thought about that. You know, we don't have queens as they do in some European countries, and because we're not really a Catholic country, we don't have saints as part of our uh, psychic consciousness. And we have, you know, day, but hello? I'm here. But so we, we don't I have... think that what we need, we don't have these things, but we need to start creating women as our heroes and our role models. And I want exactly. to nominate you, Kathleen. I think that you are an excellent role model for today and for the future of American people and especially American women. And I, I really want to be on your bandwagon to get the church that I love, which is yes. the Catholic Church, back on the right uh, track to and start promoting women and accepting and promoting them to the leadership roles that they so deserve because we have some incredible, incredible women that we're going to lose if we don't get on track. Well, can we give out your website? Do you have a website? Yes, absolutely. I have Kathleen Kennedy Townsend website. It's all about failing America's faithful. And and I would love it if, you know, your listeners email me and I email back them and talk about how the 
conversation about so how Kathleen we can recapture Kennedy our churches. KathleenKennedyTownsend.com. Yes. Okay. Well, Kathleen, what hey. an honor to see What a pleasure to talk with you. It is a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Schlante to you. You're Schlante you to you as well. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, the book is called Failing America's Faithful, How Today's Churches Are Mixing God with Politics and Losing Their Way. Kathleen Kennedy Townsend. You've been listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style. Be the star you are. Kathleen, thank you so much for hey, being a guest. What a pleasure to be with you. I would love to keep in touch with you. You're a dynamo, and we better stick together. Okay, I like it. <laughs> for more information about Be The Star You Are, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. For more information about Cynthia Bryan, CynthiaBryan.com. Until we celebrate next week, go out into the world and know that you are one of a kind. You are you. Take a look in the mirror and admire yourself. And most of all, celebrate in the moment. This is the only moment we have. You are a star. Enjoy it. Thanks for joining me. Until next week, ciao for now. Be The Star You Are. Your smile, be the star you are. Show the whole wide world your smile. Be the lucky star you are.